Daniel chapter 6. We uh, studied the first half last week. Remember, Belshazzar got his termination notice, notification, handwriting on the wall. You know, you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. He's conquered by the Medes and the Persians. Cyrus appoints Darius as the king over the former Babylonian Empire. Once again, Daniel in his 80s rises to the forefront. Darius loves the guy. Makes him one of the three top officials in the empire and is even considering making him numero uno. All the other people get upset. The satraps, the magistrates, the Chaldeans are all really upset at this old guy. Not even a, a Persian or Babylonian. He's Jewish, one of the original captives from Judah, and the king's about to make him number one. So they, they plot against him. They talk the king into issuing an edict, and whenever the king issues an edict, it's irrevocable that nobody shall pray to anyone or anything or worship anyone or anything except the king for 30 days. They knew that it would only take that long to nail Daniel. It only took one day. The king, unwittingly, unknowingly, not realizing he's being set up, signs the decree. Immediately they start spying on Daniel. They find him praying towards Jerusalem three times a day. They report it to the king, and now the king's up against the wall. Let's pray. We'll start with verse 13. Father, we left up this time in your word. We pray that you'd help us to cover this material in the time we have left, that you would anoint the teaching of your word, you'd speak to our hearts, feed our spirits, and continue that work of training, equipping us, and preparing us to be end times believers, which we are, whether we want to be or not. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So they answered and said before the king, first of all, last week they had said, now, remember, king, you did sign this edict, right? We're just confirming this. Yep, that's right. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Can you believe it? Not once, not twice, but three times a day, Daniel prays. Capital offense. Just as Belshazzar had done prior to his untimely death, Daniel's accusers did not describe him as the governor. One of your governors, O king. No. He's one of the captives from Judah. He's a lowlife, downplaying his prominent position in the government to make him sound more like a criminal. We see a lot of that verbal manipulation in the world today, don't we? Terminology. Linguistics. I call it verbal gymnastics. Verse 14, And the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. So he's, you know, kind of like McFly, you know. Hello, McFly. Dummy. Look what you got yourself into. Your favorite guy is in big trouble. By letting your ego get the better 
of you. Oh, we're going to worship only you, O king. For thir- Hey, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah, let's do that. But now look where he's at. By letting his ego get the better of himself, listening to unwise counsel. Oh, so many people are victimized by unwise counsel. And I think I mentioned last week how people will go around looking for counsel till they find somebody who will tell them what they want to hear. That's unwise counsel. You just sentenced your best friend to death by mastication. You mean chewed up by a lion? Psalms 1.1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. You've heard me say it again and again. We tend to become like the people we hang out with. If we want to be good, godly people, righteous people, holy people, we need to hang out with those kinds of people. And yet, I think there's so many believers out there. They're not committed or dedicated to attending church regularly, sitting under the teaching of God's Word, worshiping with the body of Christ. They're out there trying to go it alone. Lone Ranger believers, we could call them. And they spend more time with non-believers than they do with believers. Yeah, we want to be an influence in this world, right? But you know what? If you only hang out with non-believers, you're not going to influence them. They're going to influence you. I'm not saying we are to shun them, cut ourselves off from them. But even in one of the videos we just watched, the scripture was quoted that we're to come out from among them and be ye separate. If you're engaging in the same ungodly activities they are, there's no witness there. There's no testimony there. Notice the king set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. He absolutely did not want Daniel to die. He probably had his lawyers working overtime to find a loophole in this edict. Pretty much impossible. Verse 15, Then these men approached the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So he struck out. He's being challenged by the governmental officials to carry out his inviolable act. They're holding his feet to the fire. You know, king, that You can't do this. You can't reverse it. It's irreversible. And so Darius is forced to have Daniel thrown into the lion's den. Verse 16, so the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Plural. Notice that. A lot of times, when I was a kid going to Sunday school, and we'd have the flannel graphs. How many of you ever got taught by a flannel graph? And they had the little, you know, you got Daniel there, and you got the lion, right? It's usually just like one lion. It wasn't just one lion, folks. This is a den of lions, plural. It would only take one lion to take you out, but hey, free lunch. Bring them all in. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. I hope. So he gave the command, much to his own consternation. Matthew 12, 36 Jesus says, I say to you, for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. In this case, 
much sooner. Idle words spoken by the satraps, the magistrates, by the king himself. There will be accountability. So he spoke the command, cast him into the den of lions. By the way, every once in a while the Holy Spirit brings this verse to my mind. Hey, you better watch out. You're going to be held accountable for every idle word spoken. We do need to guard our hearts and minds, guard our tongues. The Aramaic word here for din means pit, implying that it was underground. It was a large underground cave with an opening at the top to throw people in and one at the side, just like we've probably seen depicted in some motion pictures. It was a big pit, large enough to accommodate multiple lions plus Daniel. And then some translations where it says, Your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Some translations add the word may, and so he says, may your God, hopefully your God. I'm not sure Darius had quite as much confidence in Daniel's God as Daniel did, but he certainly hoped that that would be the case. And perhaps Darius may very well have heard the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, and so he knows it wouldn't be the first time that God had delivered his people from a terminal situation. So at this point, Darius is hoping and praying, if you will, that Daniel's God is bigger than his own stupidity. Verse 17, Then a stone was brought and laid at the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. And so to ensure that the den remained closed, that no effort could be made either by the king or his officials to intervene. I mean, obviously, the men attempting to do away with Daniel were aware of the king's reluctance. They wanted to make sure that he had no way out. So the lid of the den was impressed with the royal seal, with the seals of the king's lords. The lid of the den could not be removed without breaking the seals. Does this sound familiar? The Roman soldiers sealed Jesus' tomb as well, remember? But it didn't do much good, did it? When God wants you out, you're getting out. Verse 18, Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. Very interesting. That old expression, there are no atheists in foxholes. Well, in this case, in lion's dens. The king's not in there, but his best friend is. He's fasting. No musicians were brought before him. Did they bring the musicians before you guys last night? <laughs> You're not a king, are you? No musicians were brought before him. Also, his sleep went from him. No food, no musicians, no sleep. Now, for a king, this is a big deal. Darius is very deeply troubled at the prospect of Daniel losing his life in the lion's den. I mean, it even goes beyond that to no phone, no pool, no pets. Roger Miller, hello. King of the road for you old fogies. Verse 19, Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. So basically the lions had all night to pig out on Daniel. Okay? And unlike Mary... The other Mary, Salome, who went to Jesus' tomb early in the morning to finish his burial preparations, believing that Jesus was dead, 
Darius is going to this tomb of sorts, expecting or at least hoping to find Daniel alive. Verse 20, when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting or anguished voice to Daniel. The king spoke saying, da Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, uh, has your God whom you serve continually been able to deliver you from the lions? Fearing the worst, hoping for the best. It almost sounds like Darius is trying to put in a good word for Daniel with the man upstairs. Oh, Daniel, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue from the lions? Are you alive in there? Are you okay? Speak to me, little buddy. 21. Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever! Unlike the satraps and the magistrates, when Daniel says this, he's sincere. They would just say it to smack up to the king, but Daniel means it. O king, live forever! I'm okay, I'm here! As you know, this, that was a standard way of greeting a king. But it's ironic here because Daniel, who has just been made alive by the God whom even Darius confesses is the living God, blesses the king with the wish that he should live forever. And by the way, that literally is possible for the king, of course, only if he comes to know Daniel's God personally, who is the source of life. As the Lion's Den episode shows so clearly, Daniel's God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that you and I know and love and serve, is the source of life. We talked about it in communion this morning. Verse 22, my God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Notice something here, folks. This is just a subtle little thing. My God sent his angel, not one of his angels, but his angel. Probably the same one that walked in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember Nebuchadnezzar said, wait, I see a fourth one down there, and he looks like the Son of Man or the Son of God. Probably Jesus. Because in the Old Testament, Jesus is the angel of the Lord. It's called a Christophany, a theophany, an Old Testament appearance of Jesus Christ because he existed before the foundations of the earth, right? Before Abraham was... I am. More than likely, this angel, his angel, not an angel, God sent his angel, the angel of the Lord, and oftentimes in, in many translations, when it is the angel of the Lord, it's with a big A, capital A. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths because I was found innocent before him. And God is the only one who is truly just and capable of administering justice. 1 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul writes, Apostle Paul, For I know of nothing against myself, to the best of my knowledge, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. Here it is in the NIV. My conscience is clear, says Paul, but that does not make me innocent. We have ways of clearing our consciences, don't we? It is the Lord who judges me. And the Lord found Daniel to be innocent. 
before him and before the king. God's grace, his unmerited favor. Now there are times, perhaps even when someone is not innocent, but because of their willingness to confess, to repent, God will show mercy upon them and deliver them. It's not a guarantee. But in this case, Daniel, by God's grace, his unmerited favor was found innocent before God and the king. Verse 23, so Daniel was taken up out of the den. So all this conversation up to this point, Darius is on top, Daniel's down below. But now he's taken out. No injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Remember with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, there was no sign of fire or smoke damage. They didn't even smell like fire. Whenever I sit around a campfire or some kind of an outdoor fire situation, even maybe near a fireplace, don't you kind of go away smelling like smoke? They didn't. And now here with Daniel, no teeth marks, no claw marks, no shredded clothing, no close call. Is our God awesome or what? And you know, there's probably a temptation for some, maybe for many, to say, well, yeah, I love these stories in the Bible, but I don't see anything like that in today's world. Are they true? Are they real? Are they just fairy tales? Are they fables? Are they myths? Well, again, I'm going to... I've never been in a lion's den, but, and I don't know about you guys, but I can tell you, I have multiple times in my life where I could easily have been dead. I was thinking about this last night. The first time I was about four years old, we were driving along in Phoenix, Arizona in one of those old 1950s vehicles that's made entirely out of metal, no plastic, no padding, no seat belts. I'm sitting in the front seat with my mom. I don't know exactly what happened, but my dad had to slam on the brakes. I went flying forward, hit my face into the metal dash, bashed my two front teeth back into my gums. They ultimately turned black, had to be pulled. I could have been killed right there. And there are so many times. When I was 18 years old, we were on our first tour with my Christian music group, Phoenix Sunshine. We were on a two-lane highway in Indiana. We had driven down there earlier in the day to go do a concert at a church we had to drive back about an hour to where we were staying. We noticed as we were going to the concert, they had been doing repaving, resurfacing, resealing, something with the roadway. So it was kind of oily and slick. We're coming back from the concert. It's now rainy. The road is wet. Dark, country road. Only one lane in each direction. I'm 18. I've only been driving for a couple of years. All of a sudden, a raccoon runs out in the road. I foolishly slam on the brakes. I don't want to hurt the poor little furry creature. All of a sudden, the steering wheel's going like this, like you see in the movies. Next thing we know, we're upside down. Windshields busted out. We landed just a few feet from a big ravine. My ear was cut halfway off. My head hit the side window. I reached up, and I felt blood gushing out of the top of my head. My scalp, as it turns out, when once I got to the hospital, had been cut through to the skull, to the bone. I got 67 stitches in the top of my head. But I'm still here. I could give you more and more and more of those stories. So I've never been in a lion's den, but God has protected me more times than I can count here this morning. I shared my golf ball incident with you last week. Doesn't even hurt now. 
I know, yeah, you have a hard head. <laughs> but I'm just trying to point out to you folks that these Bible stories are real and they're not just for ancient times. It's the same God today. He's the same mighty, powerful, omniscient, om omnipotent, omnipresent God and He will take care of you just like He did Daniel. But it would be a good idea to maintain a healthy relationship with God so that like Daniel, you'll be able to say, I'm innocent before him. Not perfect. How do you, if you're not perfect and you will never be perfect in this life, then how do you maintain a situation in which you can say, I'm innocent before him? Because when you do stumble, when you do fall, when you do sin, you Repent as quickly as possible. Confess that sin to God and ask for forgiveness. Okay? And he promised that he would. 1 John 1, 9, If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Another one of my favorite verses. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. Daniel's faithfulness to God initially got him into trouble. Do you realize that sometimes being faithful to God will get you into trouble? But his faithfulness got him into trouble praying three times a day when he wasn't supposed to technically. We must obey God rather than men, right? But his faithfulness got him into trouble. His faith got him out of it because he believed his God. Hebrews 11, 33 through 35. The Faith Hall of Fame. I love it. Paul's talking all about the people of faith all down through the centuries. He says, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and Samson, not Obama, Jephthah. We don't want to get confused here, right? <laughs> Gideon, Barak, not Obama, Samson, Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. I am weak, but he is strong. Jesus told Paul, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul sought the Lord three times. Take this affliction from me. God said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made known through your weakness. Weakness. Out of weakness we're made strong. So you can't, you, you can't use that excuse. Oh my, what are you going to do? Oh Lord, I can't. I'm too weak. But that's, God says that's how I'm going to make you strong. Through your weakness, my strength will be made known. There went your excuse. I'm too weak. No, you're not. I am weak, but he is strong. Okay, we're made strong, became valiant in battle. King David, young boy, shepherd, slingshot, starts taking out the lions and the tigers and bears. Oh, my. Becomes a mighty warrior. Turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. 
Mustard seed faith, Jesus called it, can move a mountain or close a lion's jaw. So there goes your other excuse. One, I'm too weak. No, you're not. God will make you strong. Two, mustard seed faith. It doesn't take a lot. I don't have enough faith. Really? How many of you here today had enough faith to invite Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior? Okay, so you have enough faith. <laughs> there went your other excuse. It's gone. All you need is the faith of a mustard seed. You don't need a lot. God will work with that. Because he can bridge the gap and make up the difference. So, verse 24, the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel. They cast him into the den of lions. Ooh, reap what you sow, eh? Them, their children, and their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. They were catching them in midair. The king gave the command. Now, they were forcing him to make a command that would nail Daniel, right? But you can bet those devious satraps and magistrates won't like this command one bit. They brought those men who accused Daniel, cast him into the den of lions. This might sound extreme and cruel. This was the type of punishment that was very typical of the Persians. And again, you do reap what you sow. Luke 6.31, just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. They sealed their own fate when they went after God's man, Daniel. And notice not just them, but their children and their wives. The entire families of the wicked conspirators were destroyed because the Persians, like the Hebrews and other Semitic groups, considered guilt a collective responsibility, especially in families. Remember Korah from the book of Numbers, chapter 16. Korah's whole family suffered for his rebellion against Moses. Achan, I call him Achan Bacon. He was toasted, Joshua chapter 7, for lying, taking plunder, hiding it. Whole family suffered. And by the way, that's true today as well. It may not be literally that your whole family will be literally killed, but the choices and decisions we make affect people around us. That argument, well, I'm not hurting anybody. Yes, you are. Everything you do affects people around you. When you do things that are going to potentially harm others, you're being selfish, self-centered, the exact opposite of what we're called to be in Christ. And again, perhaps if we took that approach today, people would think twice before they make such stupid, ill-advised choices. Probably not, but maybe. And this, the lions overpowered them, broke all their bones in pieces before they even came to the bottom of the den. Just reinforcing how miraculous Daniel's preservation really was. So the king makes another decree now. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. Boy, I'd like to hear a decree like that coming out of somebody in Washington today, wouldn't you? You know who did make a similar decree over and over again during his presidency? Donald Trump. No credit. No acknowledgement. Donald Trump has talked more about the fact that we worship God, not government. You can find fault with him all day long, but nobody has stood up for God like Donald Trump. We worship God, not government. He has said it over and over again. That is exactly correct. If the people leading us now would say that, 
maybe we could make some good progress. The king makes this decree. Sorry for defending the guy, but how can you not? He stood up for unborn babies, right to life. Christian worship. The list goes on and on. God does use imperfect people. You know that, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to use you or me. Okay? Don't forget that. Here's the decree. So this original 30-day decree for people to worship only Darius by now apparently has expired. This decree sounds a lot like the one made by Nebuchadnezzar who'd been greatly influenced and affected by Daniel and his friends. But let me finish the decree. Every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is, the li he is the living God and steadfast forever. His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed, and his dominion shall endure to the end. This guy's sounding like a preacher now. Here's what Nebuchadnezzar said in chapter 3, verse 28. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered... There it is again, his angel, big A, delivered his servants who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies so that they should not serve nor worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or language which speaks anything amiss against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces, and their houses shall be made an ash heap, because there is no other god who can deliver like this. Whew! Wow! Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Then chapter 4, Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. And that's after, of course, he lived as an animal for seven years. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. And we have seen this kind of thing happen throughout human history because of the witness of great men and women of God. But as we draw closer and closer to the very end of time, I'm not expecting to see these types of things again. I'm expecting to see what we saw in those videos today. I'm expecting to see what we've read about in the book of Revelation. And I'm expecting the church of God to be out of here. The rapture of the church. Verse 27, two verses to go and we're done. In closing, you ever heard pastor say that? 30 minutes later, I thought he said in closing. Verse 27, he delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, this old dude. Tim Miller told me that some guy down at the University of New Mexico, they were giving out Bibles with the Gideons. And this one guy told him to blank off, old man. It reminded me of the kids that mocked Elijah. Go up, old bald head. God sent a bear down and devoured all the kids. <laughs> Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. 
So at over 80 years of age, Daniel prospered not only throughout the reign of Darius, but also that of Cyrus. Guberu, or Darius, that's his other name, served Cyrus for just about one year, 539 to 538, after which Cyrus appointed his son Cambyses as vice-regent over Babylon. Cyrus himself continued as king until 530 B.C. Folks, Daniel is a reminder to each and every one of us, it's not over until it's over. Until God is finished with you, you are immortal. We are immortal ultimately because we have eternal life in Christ. But even on this planet, until God's finished with you, you're immortal, invincible, and untouchable, except for minor injuries and afflictions. As long as you bear the same testimony that Daniel did. Daniel 6.22, My God sent his angels, shut the lion's mouths, so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him, and also, O king, I've done no wrong before you. Let's pray. Let's stand. Let's stand, and then we'll pray. Before we pray, raise your hands if you have a prayer request today. Father, you see all those hands. You know what's on each person's heart. Lord, we're so thankful that you know us inside and out better than we know ourselves. Lord, you not only hear our prayers, you hear our thoughts. Father, you did promise as your children you would give us the desires of our hearts. And Lord, we know that that has to do with our desires lining up with yours. If our desires are wrong, if they're unholy, if they're evil, you're not going to grant those, and we wouldn't want you to. But Lord, for every desire that's been placed in our heart by your Holy Spirit, every desire that's in keeping and in line with the truth of your word, you promised that you would, you would hear those prayers, you would answer those desires. And so, Father, we lift up now the desire for healing from physical illness, whether it's for ourselves or someone near and dear to us. Lord, you are the God who heals. We read about it over and over again in your word. And just as we discussed today, those healings are not simply for the past, for biblical times, for ancient times. They're for here and now. And we ask, Lord, humbly, in the name of Jesus, for healing for all manner of illnesses, sicknesses, diseases, injuries. Father, we ask that you would pour out your grace and mercy upon your people and bring physical healing, however, wherever, whenever it's needed. Lord, for those struggling with cancer, afflictions of the lungs, whatever it might be, Father, liver, kidneys, Lord, you're the Lord over every part of us. You made us. You create us. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We ask that you'd lovingly, graciously, mercifully heal our physical bodies and that you would receive all the glory. We pray for those struggling with mental and emotional issues. Those can be just as debilitating, if not more so. Lord, you promised us a sound mind, the mind of Christ, that we'd be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So we pray for renewal in the minds of those here today or who those watching at home who are struggling with anxiety, depression, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, anger, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, unforgiveness. Lord, we know those things can destroy us and we pray that you would forgive us and deliver us from those ungodly, unholy feelings. Give us strength, Lord, to stand firm on the truth of your word. We ask that you'd empower us by your Holy Spirit 
that you would transform our wicked, sinful hearts into soft hearts, teachable hearts, hearts like that of you, Lord. Pray, God, for those with relationship issues, marriage, friendships, work relationships, neighborhoods, wherever it might be, school. Lord, your word says that we're to try to get along with everybody as much as we possibly can. We're to be peacemakers. Help us to do that. Help us to be the first ones to extend the olive branch, to reach out. And Lord, when those efforts are rejected, please help us not to get hurt, not to get offended, not to get upset, but just to trust you for the outcome. Help us to do our part and trust you for the rest. But we do pray for healing and all of those important relationships in our lives. Finally, Lord, we pray for financial issues. We've been talking about the difficult times we're in, the rising food costs, the lack of availability, supply chain issues. Lord, but we know that you're our provider. We talked about your prayer, Father, the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. We trust you to provide for us, not only physically, but mentally, spiritually, emotionally, to give us our daily bread on every level. We ask that you cast out all fear and help us just to trust in you, to believe in you, to hope in you. And we do pray, Lord, for provision for your church, the body of Christ, and we will give you all the praise and the glory for it. Now we ask you to receive our final offering of praise today. In Jesus' name, amen.